When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Oh, hello, friends of the National Treasures podcast. This is one of your hosts, Will, speaking. Now, we hope you enjoyed the first four episodes of um, our new format when we went to Duxford Imperial War Museum under the guise, not the guise, but the tutelage of um, Ed Byrne. Now, unfortunately, with this new version of the podcast, it means that some months have five weeks in them. We don't like that. So rather than jump ahead and get all out of sorts for your listening pleasure, we've decided to give all non-patrons a little taster behind the Patreon paywall this week, as it was still August, um, and give you a year's and year's for free, because we're very nice and also want to entice you into the Patreon world. Now, of course... It would be better if it were both of us, but Laura is having a wonderful time in Crete. So I said, no, 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 I will do this. So enjoy, non-patrons. This is A Years and Years, which you can get if you join our Patreon, patreon.com forward slash national treasures for a fiver a month. So um, do consider it because we love you to join us. Bye-bye now. As a lost, forgotten, misremembered, gone from the collective minds of all, cartoon Old Bear once said, please read us a story, Old Bear. But this isn't Old Bear, this is years and years. So I will say, please read us a story, Old Double LX. We'll all gather round. It's years and years, this spin-off podcast with the, frankly, when I'm in charge of them, increasingly tenuous introductions. Yes. <laughs> I enjoyed of, it. Thanks, mate. I was going to sing the old bear story. The point is, I, I, I introduced that. this old bear thing you're talking about? I've never <clears> heard of this. As I said, Laura, the forgotten thing, it was like a... Like it was a, a, a like a nursery full of old toys, and all the toys came alive, a la Toy Story. But one of the toys was an old teddy bear called Old Bear, and he would tell all the children toys stories, and that would be the basis of the episode of the show. Please read us a story, old bear. We'll all gather round. You sit in your favourite chair. We'll sit on the ground. Please read us a story, old bear. No? Yeah, it sounds really good. It was actually. It was Maybe one of next year at Edinburgh you should do a show dressed as that bear and just read people's stories. I have spent in Edinburgh dressed as a bear, so no. Uh, a bear? 
Yeah, I was a dog in Funs and Games, but I was a bear in the little, in the precursor to Funs and Games called Unplanned Orphan, which was me, Jim and Phil. Uh, a critically acclaimed show, a commercial failure. I'll give you an example. Once we had sold eight tickets in a 50-seater, but one of the eight was Bo Burnham. Oh. Uh, anyway, welcome to Years and Years, friends. Welcome uh, to the Years podcast and Years, podcast in which Laura and I take it in turns to a take a deep intro. dive. He's doing a second intro there. Yes, because I think it's been so long since the first one, we've forgotten what the fuck's going on. <laughs> yeah, but they've been listening every week for years now, so I don't think they... Laura's going to tell me about 1953. Shall I we sure do it? I am. How are you feeling, Will? You all right? <clears throat> I'm all right. I'm exhausted. I had my final preview last night. Well, I in, did text uh, you last night to see if you wanted another one on Sunday, and you didn't even bother you, replying to me. Yeah, I'll tell you why. Because the preview was in Worcester, okay, which is a lot further away than I remember it being. Um, and I got there with not too much time to spare and I thought I'll deal with that when I get off stage and I've just remembered it now. Right, well that if that doesn't tell you about the state of our friendship when we're not recording then I don't know what does. Um, we very rarely stop working to send a text. <laughs> I think that's fair. Yeah, alright. Um, well I'm not too tired. I'm... Um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm just fine. And I'm quite excited about this episode. So let's jump right. in because I, quite, I quite enjoyed it. Um, there's quite a lot, what obviously. Worth, what with it being in 1953? No one cares. Um, so obviously I've done some heavy editing of the stuff that happened this year. Necessary. Right. Because otherwise this would be a three-year episode. And that's years in real time, not I would cover three years. You understood. Yes, I understand. Not you, the listeners. You are they just here as a too. byproduct. Um, I'm actually here as the voice of the listener. Oh, all right then. Those poor listeners, <laughs> they can't be happy with this representation. Wooble, wooble, I'm a listener. A blue, blue, blue. Ooh, how do I put my socks on? A wooble, wooble. Jesus, these guys are idiots. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, there's going to be chat about that in the Discord. Uh, William. <laughs> <laughs> William, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to imagine you've got a chauffeur taking you to previews in Worcester. They're driving you there. They're driving you back. And you're sitting in the back seat. You're not even thinking about the show you're about to do because it's so good already. You don't even need to worry about it. Uh. <laughs> so instead, instead... You're thinking about the year 1953. You're just having a good old daydream in the back of your uh, Lexus. The and confidence was knocked in Worcester is what I'll say. Well, if you need me to have a listen and give you some notes, you just let me know. You've got a week. Um, uh, I blame anyway, them. What? I blame them. Yeah, Worcester. Who cares about Worcester? I don't know if any of our delicious are from Worcester. but listen. Lee and Perrins? Lee and Perrins, they care about Worcester. Well... Unless it's Lex Mick and, and L- Lee and Mick Perrins. Mac and Mick, come on. <laughs> yeah, something like that. Anyway, shut up, please. Just close your eyes in the back of the Lexus and have a think about 1953. You're, you're thinking about 1953. <laughs> you're thinking about everything 1953 feels like. You're still 23 years away from a summer that people will bang on about for 100 years. You are eight years... I didn't like that joke. Eight years past the the American listeners like, what the fuck are they talking about? There was once a summer that was vaguely warm and nobody's ever shut up about it and climate change isn't real because that summer happened. You're eight years past 
the end of the war. So if you're just being born, you're looking forward to telling children about how you fought in it, even though you've not been born yet. You're feeling a vibe, like like every part I'd of... Called it, I'd have called it a Laura Lexus. Oh, that's very nice, yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what you can nickname your Lexus when you get one. Um, I'm just getting in Laura, climbing in the back of Laura. Um, Again. You feel like this year is all going to happen in seven different ways. Mm. Some of them will be Monday ways. Mon Gosh, ways. it's long this, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, because there's quite a lot to get through. So. Thursday. Yeah! Oh, my God. This Lexus is magical. <laughs> William, well done. You haven't started That's Googling funny. these before we do it. No, there's no way you can no, pre No, genuinely. That. But they would also, it would, who, who would that impress? Me. All right, well, I might start doing it then. <laughs> it did start on a Thursday. Oh my God, I can't wait to see the new bar charts. Okay, so um, obviously, uh, right, I've got, I've got some mini events. Well, they're not mini events, but they're just stuff I couldn't be asked to go into loads of detail on. Great. Um, sugar rationing ends in the UK. ba ba How mad is that though? That eight years after the war, they're still having to ration sugar. Well, they're not. That's the point, isn't it? Oh, William. What? You're saying no in an improv. Okay, yes, and it's not because they're not managing it. Can you mute yourself um, on the clean feed as well as the Zoom, please? Oh, genuinely, I very nearly did then. That's how horrible <laughs> I am. I'm like, <laughs> All right, then. Isn't it mad that up until a year ago they were rationing sugar still? Yes, that's mad. But I suppose, though... Like, you've got uh, five-year-olds that don't even remember the war, that were born two years after the war. Like, yippee, I'm outside of it. And they're still like, can I have a cake, please? No. No. I was... But I think, weirdly, I was talking to Judith, Ron's partner. Who Ron of works Ron's years, like, fame. Oh, I should text Ron him of Ron's, years. Ron's years. But Judith of uh, Ron's years, fame, uh, obviously, she works for the European Commission. She works in, like, sugar. And she was explaining to me all about, like homegrown sugar and foreign sugar and sugar substitutes at the weekend. It was really interesting. She works with beets. Yeah, she works with, like, sustainable good sugar. But so much sugar wouldn't have been that. It was all coming from abroad. So whilst it blows my mind, it's it's very impressive. Great work. Ba-boo! Um, so that ends. Uh, also this year... What's wrong with your sofa? What's wrong with your sofa? Oh, we got a new sofa a few months ago and it had a little rip in it and um, the guy just came out to put a new cover on it. Sweet. For the listener that that will have made no sense for, uh, we slightly had to delay our recording because the guy was here replacing the arm of my sofa. Um, uh, also this year, Ian Fleming publishes his first James Bond novel. Great. Do you know which one it was? The first James Bond novel. I mean, is it Casino Royale? It is, Will. You are on fire today. Boo pew, boo pew. Well Do you know done. what Ian Fleming's house was called in Jamaica, where he lived? Uh, Ian Coffing. Goldeneye. Ah. Did you know that my friend Nick, who I went to university with, his, like, some relation lived in Jamaica next door to Ian Fleming? Oh, wow. That's very Did exciting. you know Ian Fleming also wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang? I did not know that, no. Thanks. Why do you have so many Ian Fleming facts? I quite like Ian Fleming, actually, as a person. Oh. I, I don't think we'd get on. I think we're quite politically different, but I find it quite interesting. Right. Well, there you go. He wrote... He wrote. Well, I, don't, I suppose he probably didn't write it this year, but it got published this year. 
um, I've got pretty good insider knowledge of the publishing industry. And uh, he probably finished it in 1952 or earlier. Um, also this year, Christine Jorgensen returns to New York, having been in Copenhagen. Why was she in Copenhagen, I hear you ask, Will? Well, I'll tell you. Do you know, Laura? I was about to ask, why was she in Copenhagen? Well, buddy boy, let me tell you. She was having gender reassignment surgery and she was the first person widely heard of who had received gender reassignment surgery. The Danish girl? I think she was from American. No, she's New York. No, but I think Christine Jorgensen. I'm going to check this because I do think that the Is that Danish what the film girl... is based on? Yeah. Ah, oh, the Eddie Redmayne one. Yeah, that has aged like milk. She wasn't uh, Danish, though. She was from New York, I believe. No, it's not. It's um, No, it's not. Forgive me. Forgive me, forgive me. Forgive we'll me. edit that bit out. We absolutely won't because we're recording this Thursday morning and it's got to go out Thursday afternoon and Will won't be asked with that. Correct. <laughs> okay, now, um, we've got a thing that we're going to sort of scoot over a little bit, and not because it's not hugely important, it is, but it is just super depressing. It's and too big. It's too big for me to deal with in the way I would want to deal with it and talk about it. So we have a lot of events relating to the Mau Mau uprising in Kenya. Um, yeah. So started in 1952, this is the Kenya Land and Freedom Army, Referred to as the Mau Mau, which even that is controversial as to whether or not you should refer to it in that way. Um, and they are fighting back against British colonizers. And this is a horrific war with huge atrocities. So I do not have the time or the rounded and about knowledge to deal with this with the respect it deserves. So I'm sidestepping this, but there's a lot of events occurring in that realm. Yeah. Um, is the Mau like just to very quickly? You said you shouldn't be called the Mau Mau uprising. Is that similar to the time that when we did the uh, I forget what it's called, but it was the Battle of Little or the Alamo or Little Bighorn? And you go, well, actually, it's called this, and you shouldn't call it the it other one. Kind of. It was that. Well, at, the army themselves refer to themselves as the Kenya Land and Freedom Army. Um, Mau Mau was, I think, what the British referred to them as, and it's kind of up for debate as to where that came from, whether that's sure. a mishearing of a word or like a generalisation of actually a lot of different peoples um, kind of all lumped together under one, oh, I don't know, they're not us though, so let's just call them whatever. But actually the yeah. people involved in the fighting called themselves the KLFA, but also... The British just sowed so much dissent within their own people, like the propaganda and the like causing like not only the war atrocities and the concentration camps and all of this stuff, but the kind of turning the people in Kenya against the army fighting for their freedom against the British. Yeah, it was all tied right. up into that. I'll leave it there. Thank yeah. you for your knowledge. No, no worries. Uh, okay, then, slightly less um, devastating, uh, we've got a thing called the Robertson Panel. <laughs> and this amused me quite some. I'll just let you finish reading that text message and then I'll tell you about it. So my ticket sales, I'll turn the phone over. Oh, how are they? Are they all right? You good? Yeah, they are good, actually, yeah. Good. Yes! Everybody's going to go and see Will 
Duggan. So, the Robertson panel. This is a committee formed in January 1953. Will, what do you think they were investigating? Communists. No, <clears throat> no, not communists, although that is a very good guess. It was UFOs. All better, though. Communist aliens. Yeah, those damn commie aliens. <clears throat> um, so this was also called Project Blue Book. Um, I've just had a sudden panic that we're not recording, but we are, so don't worry. Um, I will not edit that bit out either to show they can all be idiots. <laughs> Do you never get that like slight panic where you're like, oh, God, what if I've got to talk yeah. to you about this again? Every time that I'm in charge of doing the recording. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, Project Blue Book um, or the Robertson panel. They So for some reason in 1952, don't know what's in the water, but there are a load of UFO reports, um, particularly in the Washington, D.C. area. And they got so like, oh, this is a lot of people talking about aliens. That they were like, we should have a panel. We should have a look into this. Um and then <laughs> I think you're going to really love the results of this panel. Um, basically, they decided that most UFOs were definitely not UFOs. And the ones that they couldn't be sure about were probably not UFOs. <laughs> thing is, though, that, that really annoys me about the whole UFO thing. Like, if you don't know what it is, then it is a UFO. Like, if, yeah. some, if something zips past my window right i don't know what it is but next door is chucked a banana past my line of sight that's a ufo because it's flying it's an object and okay I'm well to maybe it. we're using ufo incorrectly then okay they weren't well, i don't think you and i are you and i are not doing that it's it's the world that's at fault laura we yeah. are the last bastion of truth well i think ufo has come to mean aliens hasn't it so anyway yeah. um the outcome of this panel <laughs> was not that they ended up becoming like researching aliens but um they decided they instead of defense against aliens they needed defense against people claiming they'd seen aliens <laughs> so God. the the outcome of this panel was that they prescribed more education for people so that they would stop thinking they'd seen aliens <laughs> That and more government monitoring of UFO groups to get people to stop brainwashing other people into thinking they'd seen aliens. When you said education on what a UFO is, my brain just went to that Father Ted scene. <laughs> this is small. Yeah. That's far away. <laughs> this is a plane. This is an alien. <laughs> this is a plane. Yeah, that's basically what the US government had to do after that, was just, can you stop ringing 911 about a banana that's been flung past your window, please? It's just Will dicking about. Um, so, yeah, so th that really tickled me. Um, then we've got the North Sea Flood. So this was a heavy storm in January of 1953, combined with a high spring tide, and this caused crazy flooding in the Netherlands, Belgium, Scotland, and parts of England. And it flooded land up to five and a half feet above the usual sea level. Fucking hell. Yeah. Um, quite a few hundred deaths as a result of that flooding. It would be, yeah. Very yeah. sad. Um Thoughts and prayers. Now, your final event, and okay. I've included this one in quite a lot of detail because I think it will appeal to you, William, because of your love of digging and stones and the ancient world. You know me. I can't get enough of that stuff. I know you so well that you studied you it. You know me so well. 
Wasn't we good? Oh, so good. One we find. Maybe we should change oh, the theme so music to Years and Years for the, to that. Isn't it madness? You're not going to at any point this very famous duet. No. But in the end, he needs a little bit more than me. More security. Carry on. Okay. The skull of <clears throat> Piltdown Man is announced as a hoax. No! Yeah. Do you know about Piltdown Man? Is this anything you studied? <laughs> no, but I have a horrible feeling things that are named like that are things that I probably should know about. And we have prob probably unearthed a huge gap in my knowledge. Good use of unearthed there, Will. Unearthed. Great pun. Unintentional. <clears throat> Can you dig it? That was on one was on purpose. With you! He's sweeping up. I did sweep in there because there's lots of sweeping in archaeology. Not good, that one, actually. Why? Who sweeps the floor? They, they do with the little... Sweep, 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 sweep. That's called brushing. It's, it's tiny sweeping. Do you sweep your hair in the morning? Yeah, every morning I wake up and I sweep it from side to side and then a little blue tit alights on my finger and we sing a duet and then I say, don't tell Will because I'm not going to join in with him later. And then the blue tit flies away and then I brush my hair. Yeah, you don't sweep it. Do I you? did, I said I swept it first. Oh, shut up. <laughs> okay, so the Piltdown Man was a paleoanthropological fraud. <gasps> okay. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, in which bone fragments were presented as the fossilised remains of a previously unknown early human. So it was basically a missing link hoax. Sure. So what's weird about this is that this guy presented the stuff and a lot of people went, I don't think this is right. That's held on with blue tack. But <laughs> uh, John, I think you're faking this because that's definitely made out of chicken wire. Yeah, but for some reason, for like 40 years, nobody proved it. So February 1912, this guy called Dawson, Charles Dawson, yes, um, contacted the keeper of geology at the Natural History Museum and said, I found a, a section of a human-like skull in a gravel pit in in this place called Piltdown in East Sussex. Um, and uh, so the, uh, Arthur Smith Woodward, he's the geology guy, and then the, this Dawson guy, they are at the site and they're discovering bones and artifacts, excuse me, artifacts, um, digging them all out, and they seem to all come from the same individual. So there's a jawbone, there's some skull fragments, there's a few little tools and stuff, and there's some teeth. Did this Charles Dawson, when he rang, did he say, I found her, my great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-mother-in-law? No. Uh, Les like Dawson, Les Dawson. It was Les, good. Like it was Les good. Dawson. It wasn't bad, actually. Was... I thought of that a couple of minutes ago when you said his name, and I thought... I'm going to do that joke, and I thought on it for about two minutes, and then I did it. Yeah. Did you hear anything I was saying while you were thinking about that? Yes. His friend, Arthur Smithwood, they found loads of different samples, seemingly from the same man, including yeah. jawbones. Great. Then you stopped talking, I did my joke. And it was lovely. Everybody's happy. So they reconstructed it all, and um, basically thought it was probably a human ancestor from about 500,000 years ago. Yeah. Um, it was given the Latin name Eo 
Eonthropus Dorsoni, Dawson's Dawn Man, um, mm-hmm. at the Geological Society. Uh, and, yeah. Now, they thought it was fake from the beginning. They were well, like... it says there was questionable significance of the assemblage uh, remained the subject of considerable controversy. So, yes, a lot of people thought it was weird and were like, I don't know, man, why are the Geological Society going along with this? Because it just doesn't look right. Then in 1953, it was proven to be a forgery and it was basically an altered mandible, which is the jawbone, isn't it? All right, yeah, and yeah. some teeth of an orangutan... Uh, okay. developed, uh, de- combined with the cranium of a fully developed but small-brained modern human. So he'd kind of just mushed the teeth of this thing in. So, um, yeah, now... I love things like this, because that isn't something that's done on a whim. Like, do you know the... Uh, it's Also, it's not done for fun. Like, do you know the, the podcast Criminal that we listen to? Yeah. The guy who, for like 40 years, was just leaving massive like bear tracks on yeah. the beach. But just for fun. Just to mess with people. Yeah. I've got no issue with that. But things like this, and like the surgeon's photograph of the Loch Ness Monster, the fake, the yeah. famous fake of that. That's adults being like, we can definitely do this. Well. Like, this, sorry, is there more? This guy does, I mean, he's kind of made it his life's mission. He's, I love it. It's sort of sad because it's like, oh, he really wants to be involved in archaeology but just can't find anything. So he spent his, he spent his time digging rather than filing down a <laughs> rangatan teeth and gluing them to a fucking pig mandible. Yeah, so there was a lot of chat after they were like, look, it's definitely just an orangutan's teeth shoved into a child's head. They were like, oh, okay. <laughs> Let's have a look at who the hoaxer was. And they're pretty sure it was just Dawson, pretty much of its own. And then there's like, you know, when there's pages and pages of like, and here's why it probably was him and it's vague evidence. And then it comes out with... um, uh, the ar- archaeologist Miles Russell of Bournemouth University analysed Dawson's antiquarian collection and determined that another 38 of his specimens were also fake. <laughs> like, he goes to... Right, this Dawson guy, he goes to work, I imagine, top hat, tails, the Royal Society, reading his paper, drinking his brandy, eating his apple crumble. He goes home. How was your day, dear? Says his wife. Oh, not bad, a lovely day of science. What are we doing this evening? I'm going in the workshop. And he's just gluing fucking things teeth to other things' teeth, <laughs> sewing a fish and a doll together and going, a mermaid. <laughs> <laughs> and then going and burying them in a nearby gravel pit. <laughs> Have a game of cards with your wife. Talk to your wife. If you hate her that much, divorce her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, pretty much he would... Um... Oh, what does it say? It said, multiple specimens demonstrated the same consistent preparation, application of the stain, so he'd, like, stain the bones a bit, Yeah. Uh, packing of crevices with local gravel, and fixation of teeth and gravel with dentist's putty. So I, I really hope that all his, all his falsifications are just sticking orangutan's teeth <laughs> well, in stuff. Well, and here's the icing on the bloody cake for you, mate. A lot of the teeth came from the same orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> They found all these fakes and then just a completely extracted orangutan skull under his bed. (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, I love it. So there you go. That's your Piltdown hoax. I thought you'd enjoy that one. 
Really enjoyed that. Um, I really enjoyed how he both went to so much, yet at the same time, no effort. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and got away with it for like 40 years. I think he was dead by the time they caught his hoaxing. The perfect crime. Right, so those are your events. Now, let's move on to births. Um, I've got a few births we've heard of, and then the one I've gone into detail on is someone we've probably not heard of because he sounded cool. So, births. It's a real mixed bag. We've got Victoria Wood. Lovely, really nice. We've got Jeffrey Epstein. Less nice. We've got Dog the Bounty Hunter. Sort of neutral on that one. We've got Tony Blair. Uh, Who knows what to say? I don't. I don't know what I think about him anymore. We've got Pierce Brosnan. I like him. Maybe you shouldn't be living here. And we've got Tim Allen. Again, sort of neutral. Yes, he ratted out his friends who wouldn't go to prison, but he is Buzz Lightyear. Exactly. So uh, now, but the birth I want to talk about is a guy called Mikola Melnik. Um, oh, great. Yeah, your favourite, right? Big time. Now, Mikola Melnik is uh, remembered for being a Soviet-Ukrainian pilot renowned for his high-risk helicopter mission on the dangerously radioactive Chernobyl nuclear power plant building immediately after the 1986 Chernobyl disaster. I think I actually do know who this guy is because I've seen the TV show Chernobyl and there's a there's a, there's a bit with the helicopter pilot doing something really brave and incredible. Yeah, it could be based on this guy. Obviously, there were other yeah. pilots as well doing this sort of stuff, but he is one of them. Um, he was played by Eddie Redmayne in that show, I think, in the wig. You're not funny. I am funny because I got your attention then from whatever you've started to play with. My sword? <laughs> And then you paused and looked at me and decided whether or not to take me seriously or not. Uh, have you seen Chernobyl? No, Will. I don't watch anything that is spookier than The Simpsons. It's not spooky. Yeah, but it's, it's tense, isn't it? And horrible and just sad. Why would you want to watch it? Because it is just so awful. I don't want to watch awful things. I don't want to oh. feel awful. Uh, Delicioners, if any of you want to do a sort of watch along with me we could all rewatch um chernobyl start a new little stream in the discord one of you will have to give me a sky atlantic password but you don't mind doing that delicious he will not commit to this right so i will what right now just as we're about to relaunch series four we've got a ton of work to do for that and you're going to edinburgh i can watch tv no you can't do some fucking work right so after chernobyl levels it was a 250 (laughs) bloody capacity and there were 20 people there, and they were nice people, but it was a church. I, I couldn't do my endings. There was no, there was nothing, there was an organ behind me, and I think I did. There was an organ on the front of you, too. Th- there was, it was my pinging. They also, um, I think I might, have, I might have massively misjudged the political uh, sort of um, framework in Worcester, because they didn't like my anti-conservative stuff. Still, it was at least an eight-hour round trip. So, who's the real winner? And the last one you're doing before you do it for a month. So, at least you feel strong about your life. Okay, so, there's loads of radiation after the fire. And it means that um, teams, they're called liquidator teams. I'm not entirely sure what those are. But anyway, the operations teams, they can't... um, 
they can't get to the building on the ground because of the radiation levels. So they're yeah. coming in via helicopters. Um, uh, so they're they're trying what they're trying to do is cover the building with sandbags and lead slabs and put um, equipment in and start getting photographs and monitoring the radioactive uh, monitoring. So Melnick, among others, as I say, a whole team, but this guy happened to be born this year, um, was an experienced civilian helicopter pilot, and so, you know, all hands on deck. He flew 46 missions over the building for a combined total of uh, 52 hours of um, sorting stuff out over the top of this, like, smouldering nuclear plant. This doesn't end well, does it? Um, so the most important that he did was called Operation Igla or Igla, which is Operation Needle, um, and this was June nineteenth, nineteen eighty six. So we're not born yet, will? Uh, and he had to install a, an eighteen meter radiation probe on top of the building with like a completely precise drop from a helicopter, um, and it was especially difficult. And when he managed to do like a really similar thing in a training operation, people were like. Oh, shit, get him there now, go. So he went off to do it. He didn't know the purpose of the training until he was taken to Kiev to do it at Chernobyl. Um, and the first attempt to insert the needle into the reactor didn't work because there was a frozen crust above the target. Hey, listen, um, it's been a while. Well, it's because one of you's always in the emergency bedroom. But he did uh, succeed on the third try, and uh, yeah, he in uh, so he did survive. He was fine, but in 1994, he had to have surgery related to health problems attributed to radiation. Yeah, he had a million tumors. Maybe, but he yeah. is in the remembrance book of the Chernobyl Museum. Great, so, that's really good. I enjoyed that. Cool, um, dude. Really cool. I'll tell you a fact about Chernobyl. Uh, at first, they refused to believe that it was that bad because their Geiger counters were only showing like seven radiations, whatever, which is not great, but not terrible. And then a little later, someone went, yeah, but our counters only go up to seven. And then oh. they got a real one in and it was like 4,000. Jesus. All right. So now we've got deaths. Are you ready to have your mind blown? No. Is this going to be... Uh, Piers Brosnan could have been suckled by Elizabeth I. Not, no. How about Stalin? No, Stalin died in around 53. Yeah, I'm fine yeah, with that. Yeah, he died in 1953. He had a stroke and then he died a few days later. So well, at he least he was happy. Been... <laughs> <laughs> Very few podcasts will give you a Stalin wanking joke. But you know what? I think we're all the better for it. Do you now? Uh, so Joseph Stalin, Gucci, Gucci or Gucci, he dead. Yeah, I'm fine with this. Uh, Lionel Logue, the speech therapist. The from speech the writer. Speech. Yeah. Jeffrey Rush. Yeah. Of course, he will have been dead because around that time, because he was sort of Jeffrey Rush's age in 1939. I'm good with that one. I don't know what you're saying. There. Well, in the in the King's speech, he's yeah. played with by Jeffrey Rush. Who's yeah. like what sort of mid sixties, and that's in the late thirties because it's just pre World War Two. So people, yeah, I'm I'm happy with him dying in 1953. That's good because that's what know. happened. Yeah, good. Next. Okay, uh, your next one. Is, so those are the three famous ones I picked out. 
uh, press as well. Um, so I've got a couple of deaths and then a big finish is a birth. So we should motor a little bit. Right, but um, one death, Theo Anna Ruling. Uh, this lady is a German journalist whose speech in 1902, 1904 was the first political speech to address the problems faced by lesbians. Played by Eddie Redmayne in the film. <laughs> yeah, she turns up in the helicopter and just starts, like, putting needles in. There is things. too much radiation here, Comrade Redmayne. Also, lesbians have a real tough time of it. Yeah, that, I mean, it's a film I'd watch. She was one of the first modern women to come out as homosexual and has been described as the first lesbian activist. So, she's born in Germany and obviously uh, her family were just like, lesbian? What's a lesbian? Not in this family, thank you very much. No, so they made her get married. Um, and then she, it, I didn't say what happened to this wedding marriage, but she seems to have just sort of wandered off from it and been lived quite out as a lesbian. Um, so she... Sorry to interrupt. I read a book maybe three, four months ago. I didn't think you about, are sorry to interrupt. I'm, correct. Um, I read a book three, four months ago about sort of Germany between the wars. And uh, before the rise of Nazism, Germany was a really liberal place for LGBT people. Yeah, like cabaret in Berlin. Yeah, it's like one of the first, like, it was, like, there were loads of sort of, like, people living, um, that wouldn't have been called trans people, but trans people and gay people and... Yeah. Um, all sorts going on, really. All sorts. Um... She declared that homosexual women married men could find no happiness. Hey, it's not just the homosexual women married men. Uh, and it's a nasty joke. Yeah, well, he's been away for four days. So I, do you ever get that thing where when you've been away from Becca for a while, then when you, I, I start getting prickly. And then when he does come home, I'm like, oh, I didn't even miss you anyway, even though I've missed him loads. No, no. Yeah. What? No. <laughs> like he walks in the door. It takes me like a couple of hours to get happy about him being back again, even though I've missed him. Why? What a weird. Because a I weird have to like defend to myself for him being away, so I get really used to being by myself. And then he's been he... working. Yeah, but it's it's not about him. It's about like I hate being alone, so I really like go into one on my own. And then when he comes back, I'm like, ugh, who are you in my house? And then I'm like, oh, it's you. <laughs> After a little while. Like a like a dog. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dog is always happy to see me. It's like a cat. A, it's called an insecure attachment. It's uh, it's when you get mad at someone for leaving you and then when they come back, you don't trust that they're staying. I've been doing a lot of reading about attachment theory. Well, I'm sorry for your... Crazy brain. Ways. <laughs> anyway, so she started a, a relationship with a woman in 1904 and took up activism. And basically, she wanted the LGBT movement to hook up with the women's rights movements. She wanted... Um, the feminist sort of movement to, to go hand in hand with LGBT rights. Imagine that happening, half of the UK media. That would be so good, wouldn't it? Um, and basically a big part of it, she was saying, was that it's very destructive for homosexuals to enter into marriage. Like gay men being forced to get married never ends well for the women and gay women, or the men, obviously. They're very unhappy, but obviously. Um, so the... They're doing loads of bumming on the side, though, aren't they, I reckon? Oh. <sighs> Are they not, do you reckon? If I was a gay man in a heterosexual marriage, I'd be finding every excuse to nip down for a quick old bum. Sure, but also it just makes for unhappy people forced into a relationship with each other and then unhappy people in a relationship are horrible to each other and 100%. historically the women have come off worse in that. So, fair, fair. Um, 
she gave a speech in 1904 entitled Homosexuality and the Women's Movement. Now, mm-hmm. here was my favourite bit, though, because you're like, oh, this woman sounds cool. She sounds fun. And then no, you get nice. to she, this she paragraph and it says... Ruling believed that homosexuals constituted a third gender, distinct from men and women. She argued that homosexual women were more reasonable than clearly heterosexual women, and that a lesbian, like an average normal man, was more objective, more energetic, and goal-orientated than the feminine woman. Uh, And so she claimed homosexual women were more well-suited for professional occupations than straight women. I fucking love this. She's sat there being like... (laughs) We have been marginalised, we have been abused, we have been forced into relationships against our will, we have lived lives for centuries where we have not been happy. This will not stand. Also, bitches be tripping, am I right? (laughs) Yeah. So, swings and roundabouts there for me as as a woman. I'm like, oh, babe, no. But yes, also all power to you. Now, we've got one more death, uh, Marguerite Pietre. So we've got a bit of a saga that's going to happen now. This saga. This saga. story is a real story of um, calm down a bit, I think would be my subtitle for this story. So we've got a bloke <laughs> called Joseph Albert Gway, and he's married to a woman called Rita, but... He ends up having an affair with this young girl called Marie-Ange. They get found out having their affair. So Marie-Ange gets kicked out of her home for having this affair. Joseph Albert gets her moved into a boarding house run by our woman, Marguerite Pietre. Now, meanwhile, Rita, the wife who's found out about this affair, she takes their baby, Joseph's baby, and moves back in with her mum. She's like, no, you've been shagging 17-year-olds. I'm out. And I'm taking the You are a top legend, but I will not stand for it. Completely. I'm much... uh, Do you know what she says? She says, I wouldn't have thought so. And then I wouldn't have thought so. She takes the baby and she goes to the emergency bedroom. Now... Speaking of Becca, speaking of Becca emergency bedroom, I have found... I had a good chat with these pillows (laughs) and I have... Yeah? We have have reached an accord. Yeah? Me and the pillows are... I wouldn't say friends... But we are certainly on much more civil terms than we were. Did you wank into the pillow? It really feels like you've had an encounter with this pillow. Becca's next door. I don't want to hear. You know I've been texting her about these pillows all week. Have you really? No. (laughs) (laughs) You shut yourself then, didn't you? I record all our chats and I'm like, Becca, listen to him slagging off you as a homemaker. Anyway. We found an accord with the pillows. I think by the maybe not next week's years and years. Oh no, I'm going away, aren't I? And then you're gonna to have to get used to them all over again. Oh God, I'm just gonna move out. <laughs> anyway, so Joseph Albert, who sounds absolutely horrible, he's worse than your pillows, mate. He tries to have his wife poisoned. Well, fuck it, out, calm down, mate. <laughs> right, he's had an affair. His wife, quite legit, has moved out. And he's like, all right, you don't want to live with me? I'm going to poison you. But the person he asks to poison her is like, no, you idiots, just stop it. So, and this is why... That happens quite a lot in history. Like, someone tries to employ a hitman. The hitman's like, what are you on about? And I think, who are these hitmen? Yeah. uh, No, I'm sorry, sir. This hit would be unconstitutional. I'm the choosy hitman. Um, So here's why it's entitled Calm Down. It, the poisoner says, I won't poison her. So his second plan is he decides to bomb a commercial plane that she's on. Ooh, that's a bit too much. That's a big step, isn't it? So 
he doesn't sound like the smartest tank in the fish shop. He takes out... You're right, he doesn't sound like the smartest tank in the fish shop. (laughs) He takes out a massive life insurance policy on her about three days before the plane crash. And then with a couple of friends... uh, uh, what was the other one called? Ruest and our woman, Marguerite, Marguerite Pietre. Um, they buy the dynamite and they build a bomb. Uh, if I asked any of my friends to do that, I, I, I have issue getting my friends to build a little catapult with me. Yeah, because you are not to be trusted. Um, I bet Tom would do it. I think he'd, in theory, say he'd do it, but never get around to it. Anyway. I'm going to text Tom right now and say, do you want to build a little trebuchet with me? See what he says. Okay. Uh, you'll like this bit though. Uh, Pietre had proposed an alternative plan. So she'd said, hey, don't bomb the plane that this woman's going on. Why? I've got a neighbour who drives a taxi. Uh, And so they went for a drink with this taxi driver and they said, listen, here's the plan. You go for a drive with um, Joseph, Albert and Marguerite um, and then we're going to put the bomb in the trunk of your car with a timer on it and then you get like out into the distance a little bit where and you'll be like, oh, there's something wrong with the engine. And then you and Joseph Albert are going to get out of the taxi, leave Rita alone on it. Uh, and then the bomb will go off, blow her up and she's dead. So we're not on the plane anymore. No, the taxi. This, this is a like they're having this idea for the taxi plan. Uh, and they so they explain all of this plan to the taxi driver in a pub. And the taxi driver basically goes, are you fucking mental? No, I'm not doing that. And then it says, Pietra followed him, claiming she'd been joking. Just kidding, mate. Just kidding. Just kidding. Can you imagine having that conversation? Like, I've got diagrams. Here's my plan. This is how we're going to murder Becca. And then you go, no, you idiot. And then I'm like, oh, that was a good joke, wasn't it? That I just did with you. It's like like when you're at secondary school or primary school. You're like... Do you want to kiss? I'm only joking, but if you, if you do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the taxi plan fell, fell apart. And so they were like, all right, then, well, it has to be a plane. That's the only other way you can kill a person. Sure. So they did some calculations that they, they were going to put the timer of this bomb so that the plane would blow up over the St. Lawrence River, <clears throat> which would make a forensic investigation very difficult. But there was a delay in the takeoff. So the plane instead blew up and crashed uh, in the Charlevoix region of Quebec and it killed all 23 people on board, four crew members and 19 passengers, including four children. So just a horrific... Ugh. Anyway, uh, then days after it, our woman, Marguerite Pietre, she tried to commit suicide, but she failed. She's really good at these plans. Um, she confessed- She's just joking. <laughs> she gets a race of blame. Oh, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She uh, confessed at the hospital about having been involved, but sort of denied big responsibility for it. Um, Joseph Albert was arrested two weeks after the crash and tried in February. Um, and basically, uh, they were all convicted of having been involved in it. And Marguerite Pietre was uh, found guilty and she was hanged on the 9th of January, 1953 and was the 13th and last woman to be hanged in Canada. I like that. Uh, not Well, I don't know where I stand on the death penalty. No, like, I do know where I stand on the death penalty. I'm Andy the death on penalty. On my necks. Nice. But I, uh, I don't like the death penalty, of course, but I don't care about that. <laughs> Uh, like I mean yeah I don't know how I feel about that just 
I don't understand how, uh, yeah, I don't understand how, one, you'd ever want to kill someone, and two, how you'd think it was okay to do it with 23 other innocent people around. Yeah. Like. Also, it's not even like this guy's in the right. Like, if, if she had killed him, I'd be like, oh, that is, emotion has taken over. But he's gone, listen, guys, he's got his mates around, I've gone, listen, I've been shagging a teenager, I've been caught, my wife's left me. I think we can all agree she deserves to die. Yeah. And then his mates have gone, yeah, fair. Yeah. Now, your big finish. <laughs> Possibly one of my favourite people I've come across doing years and years. Uh, your big finish is a birth. And it is the birth of Kent Hovind or Hovind. And honestly, Will, absolute scenes with this lad. Let's go, limbs. He's limbs. described on Wikipedia as being an American Christian fundamentalist evangelist tax protester. Okay, a tax <laughs> protester. Yeah, doesn't think tax is legal. Now, he's a controversial young earth creationist. So 6,006 years old. He literally believes that Genesis yeah. happened yeah. as written. Um, but not only is he controversial for being a young earth creationist, He's controversial because both scientists and other young Earth con creationists think he's crazy. So <laughs> yes! <laughs> so, <laughs> he's, he, he's so fun. Yeah, he thinks Genesis happened as, as written. Um, he created a theme park called Dinosaur Adventureland, the place where dinosaurs and the Bible meet. The Flintstones? Kind of, yeah. Uh, well, except there's no Bible in the Flintstones, was there? Nope, fat. <laughs> so, um, this is a sign from Dinosaur Land. It says, We believe and teach that the Bible is literally true and scientifically accurate. God made the world in six literal 24-hour days about 6,000 years ago. Dinosaurs were just big reptiles that lived with Adam and Eve. Noah took them on the ark. Brackets, probably babies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, the ark was a pretty big undertaking anyway. He goes, right, we'll put a teep back in. Now they're big, aren't they? <laughs> Get an egg. Get an egg. Put it in the fridge. People killed most of them after the flood. Brackets, they called them dragons in those days. Uh, there could still be a few small ones still alive today. Brackets like Loch Ness. So All that's right. a little sign from Dinosaur Land. Now, uh, now he's got his own theory. It's called the Hovind Theory. Uh, Arrogant. It says Dinosaur Adventureland promotes a specific version of young earth creationism developed by Kent Hovind and known as the Hovind Theory. Um, Noah's family and two of every kind of animal, including dinosaurs, safely boarded but the ark. But not unicorns. No. Safely boarded the ark before the planet was bombarded by icy meteorites. The okay. Re the resulting super cold snow fell near the poles, burying the mammoths standing up. Ice on the north and south pole cracked the crust of the earth, releasing the fountains of the deep which in turn caused certain Ice Age effects, namely the glacier effects. Also, this made... 
and this is in quotations. You're the, loving this. The earth wobble around. <laughs> That's a very scientific phrase. It's scientific. This feels like me science. This made the earth wobble around and collapsed the canopy that had previously surrounded the earth, causing a hyperbaric, a hyperbaric chamber that had Walt enabled the lifelong the long lifespans of men described in Genesis. So he thought that there was a chamber around the earth yeah. that let people stay alive for hundreds of years because I think Noah got to like 800 or something. Yeah, and was like, uh, and there's a guy called like Nebuchadnezzar who was like 800. As yeah. Well, yeah, but then when it all started wobbling, the chamber fell off and that's why we only get to like, you know, max 120 now. So this well, I is, can't refute any of this. This is the theory that other young Earth creationists are like, can you shut up, Kent? Because you're really making it bad um, f- for the rest of us who are trying to m- seem um, legit here. You're making us, people think that the Earth is 6,000 years old, look crazy. Yeah. And that's hard. Now, um, <laughs> the reason I saved this for the big finish is this is my favourite thing I've found in ages doing this research. <laughs> So this is my, the, the list a few of the rides that exist at Dinosaur Land. And oh my God, Will, when we have the money, we should put this on our Patreon aims to try and visit. Actually, no, it's not. It, actually, no, I know Dinosaur Land isn't open anymore because it, <coughs> it got closed down due to not paying taxes. Patreon aims reopened <laughs> Dinosaur Land. Yeah. Do you want to hear about my favourite <coughs> ride that I found at Dinosaur Land? Yes, please, mate. <laughs> my favourite ride is the Flingosaurus ride. (laughs) And the Flingosaurus is a four-seat swing that links Newton's third law, every action has an equal but opposite reaction, with the Bible teaching that man reaps what he sows. Fuck me. Imagine taking that into an engineer. One of these, please, mate. (laughs) I I want to ride the Flingosaurus. Ah, that's my favourite. Great, that's a great big finish, Laura. Uh, That's a really, genuinely the happiest that doing this research. (laughs) Not that I'm not usually happy. I always find it quite interesting doing this. But Flingosaurus linking Newton with an eye for an eye is one of my favourite things. Like it's called the Flingosaurus, and you're trying to tie up moralism with Newton's laws of resultant Thermodynamics, forces. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Uh, love it. Laura, what a great year. Yeah. I mean, that... I'm looking forward to the next record just so I can hear Ron say 10. Yes. Uh, if that's not a 10, Ron, you're high as an absolute kite, mate. Speaking of Ron, do we have anything for yes, him last week? Yes, we've got a... We've got a Ron's years. Um, he also says, can you really shit Will up and give him a BC year? Um... It, it turns out he's mad at you or something. What did you get up to on Saturday? Why is he mad at me? Well, I don't know. But he's just asked me to sh- give you a BC year. <laughs> All right. We had, a really, we, had a, we had a really nice time on Saturday. Oh, well, let's find out what Ron thought.
bronze years. It's a 10 on the scale, just like diamonds is a 10 on the hardness scale, May for, for the explanations um, and, and all the science, big old X education. Oh, he's doing a little sneaky promo there for... I don't think he is. <laughs> it's not sneaky, actually, is it? Um, a 10! A 10, William! A 10, very Congratulations. good. Congratulations! Thanks very much for being proud of myself. Hey, we could have two 10s in a row here. Oh, can you imagine? Maybe, I think Kent deserves a 15, though, because you just make it up when you're making up your own theories. Shall we ruin the good, the good, the good run? Can I have a year? Yeah, maybe we should go low because we've got to get through these low numbers because we are going to do this until we've run out of years. So, William, I'm not going to go three figures or BC. I'm going to give you. It would take us forty years to go through two thousand years. I like this podcast, but I can't see it running forty years. What else are you going to do? Die. You're going to die in forty years? No. no, I mean, maybe. less than that. You're not healthy. Go on, um, give me a year. <laughs> I'm going to give you the year 1151. All right. Um, great. Well, please join us next week You're not going to do for... your little look-see? I'd love to, but I've just done it. Oh. And I don't want to ruin <laughs> either of the things that are happening. Please join us next week for a three-minute episode of Years and Years. <laughs> Ah, oh, thanks for listening, listeners. Um, hey, six days until the return of National Treasure's main flavour um, out on a Wednesday. And uh, we love you. Thanks for sticking a bias in the gap. Can't wait to be giving you two episodes a week. Boo-boo, boo-boo. Love you, bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.